Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. It's funny, you know, social media connects people and oftentimes we don't know how it connects people. And I've been following the curated home on Instagram and following Jen's posts and thinking to myself, oh, I need to go in and see this woman. She's got a great business. We know a lot of the same people. And then she posts something a couple of weeks ago and it just, it struck me to the core. I became emotional. And so I reached out to Jen to see if she would share her story and her journey. So I am honored here uh, today to be sitting here with Jen. Welcome, Jen. Thank you for having me, Tanya. Jen Stevenson is the driving force behind Calgary's beloved design haven, the curated home. Jen's journey into the world of interior design is marked by over 28 years of experience in real estate and home building, something that I is close, near and dear to my heart. But it's also deeply shaped by a personal tragedy, the loss of her precious daughters. And this is what the post was about. This heart-wrenching experience profoundly influenced Jen's belief in the healing power of home. She discovered that our living space can offer solace, comfort, and a sense of sanctuary during the life's darkest moments. At the curated home, Jen's mission is simple yet profound, to make interior design accessible and meaningful. She carefully curates a collection of home furnishings and decor, including her exclusive curati line and handpicked pieces from artisans worldwide. Every item reflects her commitment to quality and the belief that great design and comfort should be available to everyone. Join Jen and her team in celebrating the artistry of design and the essence of home. Let the curated home transform your space into a haven that tells your unique story, offering solace, comfort, and inspiration along the way. Welcome to a world where design, comfort, and resilience come beautifully together. And today we welcome Jen to share her journey of how she got there. Jen, can you tell us about the journey and philosophy of the curated home, particularly how you, its founder and principal designer, have combined your love of home and interior design in residential real estate home building to create a, a unique approach to your interior design? Well, I have, as I say, unofficially been doing this pretty much, you know, since I was a kid. We moved around quite a bit. So whether it was my like university dorm or the house I was living in and especially in real estate and home building, I sort of always on the side was helping people source furniture or prepare their homes to sell. And so it's I never imagined you could actually make a career out of it. So as I was saying to Nicole, when my husband turned 50 and I turned 45, I sort of thought, I can't believe how fast life is happening. So I made the intentional decision to slowly exit out of um, the role I had in our real estate business and started the curated home. So it probably wasn't like a huge transition for you. I laughed when you said you were decorating your university dorm. I'm just picturing this perfectly coiffed <laughs> bed with pillows and accessories everywhere. Is that how it looked? It was a prison cell made pretty. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, because yeah, those dorms are nothing special. Totally. So the curated home emphasizes simplicity, purpose, exceptional value in the interior design process. 
How do you achieve this for your clients and what distinguishes your approach from more traditional interior design services? I think um, the fact that it's a collaborative approach, um, I think that there's no sort of hierarchical system. Um, I've got two amazingly skilled senior ladies on the team that come with a wealth of experience. Um, and so it doesn't come in as it's my client. I think everything sort of comes into the mix. Um, it's a really tactile experience at the store in Inglewood in particular. And previous to that, I was um, operating out of the basement of our home up in Aspen. So I think having that sort of soft in a home setting, the store feels like a house. It doesn't feel like a store. Um, and I think that tactile experience and that it's sort of all hands on deck, honing in and personalizing what it is we do for the client. It's really relaxed, really personal to them. Mm. Well, when I sometimes I get asked, you know, my business coach has asked me and my husband's asked me, like, what, do you, what would you do if you weren't selling real estate? And I, it wouldn't be interior design because I don't have an eye for that. But I often, I'm, I'm curious on how you pick and choose your accessories because in my head, I'd want a store that I travel all over the world and get things from different parts of the world, like yes. really beautiful things and bring them home for yes. people to enjoy. Totally. So share with me that process and what that's like for you. Well, circling back to my you know dormitory prison cell is there's mm -hmm. a Danish uh, line of cone candles, Esther and Eric they're called, and they just come in the most amazing color ways. And, you know, when I had not two cents to rub together, I would always bring little little candles or I love the maker story. So all of the products that are at the store are lines I've used, makers I love, mm. whether it's the materiality, whether it's the colors. And then it's really like the intention is to share it all. So it is around the world, as you say, it's sort of whether it be my travels or lines and products I've been using for years that I want to share with our clients. Oh, that is so fun. So it is really like a piece of you in this store because you're really, you know, picking kind of all of the items for your yes. for your clients. And now, uh, again, I admittingly, I, I keep saying I'm going to go to your store and I haven't. So I, I'm going to commit to that in the next 30 days. You're going to see me there. <laughs> um, but I see a lot of it online. And what I, what I loved about your story, too, before we get into, you know, maybe the story of why we're here, is that you had this huge sense of community that kind of wrapped their arms around you with the opening of your store. And mm. I felt like the community really accepted and engaged. And so mm. as a new business owner, like, what was that like for you? Wow, that, yeah, that, it, it surprised me as well. It's funny you should say that, mm. as I do. I feel very rooted for... Um, I think like getting back to that with the four walls of that, I feel as though I've provided a space for our artisans to be seen. We celebrate each other. So there's not this, you know, as I say, I'm the owner. Mm -hmm. Everybody brings skills um, and a joy and a love for it. And I feel like the store and those four walls are a place for us to gather and celebrate these people that are actually making the sofas mm -hmm. or doing the ceramics or making the painting. And it is, like when we had our soft opening, um, we had literally 13 bottles of wine and champagne and people knocking at the window, thumbs up, sending notes, like it's blown me away. And all the flowers that got sent and about a quarter of those people were located in Inglewood, wow. where Inglewood people I'd never met, whether Aww. they be business owners or, yeah, it, it was amazing. So I think the city is ripe for it, and definitely um, it was something I underestimated. But yes, it's been tricky to receive. I'm I'm still yeah humbled kind of reeling by it all. off of that. Totally, yeah. totally. Well, I you know I watch a lot of store openings just online and see what's what's new in the city, and I I don't know that I've seen a business or a new store that I have felt that on social media, anyways. Mm -hmm. Kind of that third party, like wow, she 
either knows a lot of people or she's super well connected or the community just loves what she's doing. So uh, very commendable because I think you, you definitely have you know, the support of your community and friends. Thank you so much. So you and your husband experienced a tremendous loss. And uh, this is how we came sitting here today as I read your Instagram post and was immediately struck um, by your story, which I'm gonna have you share in a minute. Uh, I'm a mother of two daughters, um, and so as a mother, only you know a mother and a father can understand the love that you have for your children, whether you've been able to love them for five minutes or fifteen years or uh, mm -hmm. you know thirty years. And mm -hmm. so, share with our listeners about this experience. So um, my husband and I were having a very normal pregnancy, and sort of it was a nondescript Sunday. And uh, my stepson, the Stanley Cup, was sort of touring through Canada and literally remember the day that we were with his team and his team had, you know, their hands on my belly. I was not quite 24 weeks into the pregnancy. And then I'm not a person that gets headaches, but got a wicked, wicked headache. Went home. Jeff kind of tucked me into bed and said, why don't you lay down and, you know, I'll wake you when it's dinner and basically went into early labor. And so we delivered our girls um, quite prematurely. The whole thing in retrospect now, I mean, as you know, it's been 18 years, so it's less fresh, which is such a gift at the time that I did not know sort of the severity of what was happening. I remember thinking, why are we driving so quickly to the hospital? They're just gonna give me some sort of pill and send me on back home. And you quickly can see from the nurses and doctors' faces, this is pretty emergent. My parents suddenly arrived to the delivery room and I remember thinking Jeff had overreacted, why are they here? And long story short, our girls um, were delivered and um, you know they, they were very premature. Uh, they were about a pound and a half, not quite a pound and a half each. And they lived for three days and um, after doing brain scans, they both suffered brain bleeds. And so we made the decision to take them off support. So they lived for three days and passed you know, in our arms, which is both gut-wrenching and probably one of the most beautiful moments in that journey of suffering, for sure. Yeah, it was a great trauma. Whew. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's big. So you, what was that like for you um, being with them for those three days? I think, uh, like now in retrospect, as I say, I think in the moment, I just never thought that outcome that did happen would happen. Sort of your line in the sand moves further and further back. Is Emma, our one daughter, was immediately showing signs that she was emergent. So I can remember you sort of make deals with God or, you know, think it's not going to be as bad as it is. And sort of all attention was on her. And then when we knew that, you know, she was not going to make it, then you think, okay, well, we've got one child. And then when you realize that isn't going to happen, just the acceptance. And as I say, it's sort of a trauma and you're, well, it is a trauma and your brain protects you. So I'm sort of grateful for the fact that I had this blind optimism. I really did not think what would happen would happen. And during that time, just um, having my family nearby, being able to witness, because I have had subsequent miscarriages, many of them, seeing those little human beings that looked just like us. I mean, even in their teeny tiny form was just such a blessing. And I would say in sort of comparison to the miscarriages that I've had right beyond that, 
that felt like at least you got to see the little human beings and the impact that they've had not only on Jeff and I but our family and our friends still to this day marvels like I'm blown away by the ripple effect of two little souls that were here so briefly and impacted so many people mm -hmm. it's just yeah it's just incredible it really is and their names were Emma? Yes, so Catherine, Diane, my husband uh, lost his mom, so we, uh, before the girls were born, mm -hmm. Diane is um, his mother's name. And I always loved Kate, anything sort of British UK. Yes. And, uh, and Emma Grace, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like so much grace was bestowed upon us, mm -hmm. so that's where that came from. Oh, it's beautiful. My daughter's middle name is Grace. Oh. Ruby Grace. Oh, and it's a classic name, it is. isn't it? Yeah, yes. It, it is. So when you think back on the past 18 years, can you share a transformative moment or experience that highlights how your hearts were filled with unconditional love and your capacity to hold joy and pain expanded? Mm -hmm. I think that is really like out of that experience. Um, I think in my 20s particularly, I was a very black and white person and sort of thought that um, you, know, you do the right things and sort of everything was a, a, a checklist to achieving something and I think it really blew my mind and all of what my sort of foundational beliefs were that you life is gray and that I have learned out of this experience everything is and both mm -hmm. like it was those quiet precious moments when the girls passed in our arms were so peaceful and heavenly and beautiful and gut-wrenching and sad and not what you expect you know, so the end, both of it, and the ability and the capacity that I learned from that, um, I would say built me for one of the experiences that also is painful slash peaceful, is six years later, my dad passed of brain cancer in his early 60s. Had I not gone through the experience mm -hmm. of Kate and Emma, I, I think I would never have had the capacity to be on the front lines and to literally hear my dad's final exhale, one mm -hmm. of the most peaceful sounds I've ever heard. His mm -hmm. death was so beautiful. And, um, and I think in life we're taught painful things we should repel from and that we should avoid. And um, I certainly thought that was about stick handling, you know, avoiding pain. And we all, especially on social media, talk about our good days mm -hmm. and, you know, our shiniest moments. But I think life is sometimes just the beauty is in the ditch mm -hmm. and that we can have joy and pain all at the same time. Wow. So in a way, Kate and Emma's passing prepared you for the passing of your father at 100%. a very young age. 100%. And you, were, you then had the capacity to really be there for him in mm -hmm. his time of mm -hmm. passing. I, I really believe like sort of everything that we're experiencing us whether it be um, in our personal growth and our professional growth, is preparing us for the mm -hmm. next. That I feel like I had never experienced a grief and a sorrow. I'm a pretty upbeat person, pretty optimistic person. To have that level of just the floor of your life falling out, I mean, it just shattered, as I say, all beliefs, that when the girls passed, I just I couldn't wrap my head around it. And then I spent many years sort of armoring up, um, trying to avoid that kind of blindsided devastation. And what I came to realize is you also block the joy when you do that, too. Mm. Oh, and, that's so true. Oh, 100%. And it's a natural inclination. I mean, it's that once bitten, you know, you yeah. avoid that situation. And so I think how exhausting it was for me to be um, at the ready. I sort of thought, you'll never catch me with my pants down like that again. It was devastating and so sudden. And so I think the process, again, it's been 18 years, lots of work, lots of, you know, 
perspective. Mm -hmm. But I think I, I feel like everything has built to the next. And so it absolutely made me have the capacity to be witness and to care for my dad with my mom and my brothers as well. But that experience was so, I think, sitting bedside to, with someone before they pass is a holy, holy moment. Mm -hmm. Then you go in the car and have a cry yeah. and do all those things, but to bear witness to the soul of somebody mm -hmm. and to be at the bedside is just, what an opportunity, mm -hmm. what a gift. How old were Kate and Emma when they were born? They were uh, 23 and five out of seven days, so not quite wow. 24 weeks, yes. Really yeah, little. Yeah, really little. Yeah, and so they, their lung development, you know, they tried steroids and that sort of thing, and the brain bleeds is, we've come to know, quite common. Mm. So, yeah, very little, and they lived for three days, as mm. I say, before passing. What a beautiful three days, I'm sure that oh, was. Yeah, it was all the things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. Yeah. yeah, but it's just, I think that, uh, you know, looping that back again mm -hmm. to my dad is just, everything is, you're so present. Mm -hmm. I've never been more present at, you know, those three days mm -hmm. with our girls. Micro, everything is sort of goes away. Oh, I can only imagine. And yeah, you are just in the moment, in mm -hmm. the moment. And the things that matter are just so epically clear. Yeah. So I, I read a stat once and I don't, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's when parents experience a loss, there's a very high percentage, maybe 60 or 70% that the couple doesn't make it. Yes. And uh, you and Jeff are not that statistic. Mm -hmm. You're sitting here mm -hmm. many, many years, 18 years later, mm -hmm. happily married. So walk us through what that was like for the both of you after the loss of Emma and Kate. Yeah, that's again, another great question and, and something that you're right, like we grieved very differently. Mm -hmm. um, for me, talking about it, released it and took it out of me. For him, talking about it was like picking a scab. He was, he come, you know, comes from, a, I would say, a very avoidant family style. And in my household, <laughs> good or bad, we <laughs> yeah. talk about it's it all. It's all out on the table. Oh my gosh, ad nauseum, yes. And so for me, it was healing. And for him, it was about um, trying to heal. And I can distinctively, I mean, we definitely took turns holding each other and crying for weeks and weeks. But um, I came to learn that his way of grieving was much more solo. And I reached for him l almost all of the time. And I can remember him saying like, you know, sort of why, like, why must you talk about it? Like kind of just leave it alone. It was so hard for him. And there is that divide. I think you have, I completely understand why couples don't survive. And I think for us learning to, I respected his way that when I would come up into our bedroom and I would see that he was holding photos of them or smelling blankets or something, I would leave and let him have that moment. So I think we came to learn to respect each other's ways. And he knew that I did need to talk about it. And so I did that outside of the home more so than together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think just the choice. I mean, we're, it's also the miracle of the fact that we have a really great partnership and huge respect for one another, but the grieving process is very different. I would mm -hmm. say amongst, we, we know many friends that have suffered loss, and I think that that's universal. Not, mm -hmm. not both partners handle it in the same way and process it in the same way or heal at the same pace, which we did not. 
And so did either of you um, seek help throughout the process or 18 years ago, was that not as, you know, yeah. a, th a thing as much as it is today? Do you know what? We it's, uh, we did not do a funeral. I know a lot of people, everybody does, grief yes. is so solo. So, so personal. No, we did not. Um, I mean, I certainly have, you know, seen a psychologist, but not for that. Like grief counseling was not something that appealed to me. Mm -hmm. I would say for me, it was more internal. Mm -hmm. um, so much self-care. Like it is something that I say to people that are suffering grief is just go slow, take such good care of yourself. So massages were mm -hmm. incredibly healing just for me to be mothered yes. felt so amazing. And then it often obviously triggered the release because yes. the body holds all that pain. It does. Um, so yoga was really great. Meditation's really great. Travel has always been a, a binder for Jeff and I. We love to travel together. So that would often reunite us in a change of scenery, mm -hmm. particularly in the raw you know, years and months of mm -hmm. that process, for sure. And then you spoke to, you know, the loss of Emma at Kate, and then, but afterwards, you continued to try to have a family. Mm -hmm. And so walk us through that journey, and, and um, you know, because that's another, I, I've, I've also suffered, I had four miscarriages in 12 months before I had my daughters sorry, yeah. at various, you know, weeks. And I say to people, it, it just took the fun out of being oh, pregnant, my, because yes. you were on pins and needles. I remember it was the third pregnancy I had and I was just like, meh. I mean, I was still telling my close friends and mm -hmm. people would say, oh, you must be so excited. And I'd say, no, like, I'm hopeful, but I'm not gonna really be excited until I'm, yeah. you know, well into my second trimester. So what was that process like for you because you had already experienced a deep level of loss? Mm -hmm. You know, each one was different. Like, I think back to the first miscarriage, which was very early on in the pregnancy after Kate and Emma. And I was raised very, like, you pull up your bootstraps and just get back on the horse. And in retrospect, I, I can't even imagine that I conceived it all. I mean, my body would have been just riddled with grief. Um, but it was it was very heady and intentional, like, okay, next. And then the miscarriage after that was um, later in the pregnancy. So I've had from sort of six weeks to 20 weeks. Oh um, yeah, so the, and, and I would say overarchingly, I never questioned that I could get pregnant. You know, I have a brother that went through two bouts of cancer, told he could not have kids and had two. My mom never struggled with pregnancy. So until Kate and Emma, I had no idea Fertility was not a challenge in our family at all. And how many women like yourself and so many others that we just think we're ready, we'll try, yeah. it will happen. And then it does, and then it doesn't, exactly. and then it does. And exactly. Yeah. And so for me, the trying was less challenging. I would say for me, getting to the stage, and that was another marital sort of uh, ground that, was, that we trickily navigated, was Jeff was earlier in the process ready to say, I can't do this anymore. I see how much this is causing you to suffer. He is a father, he had two children, was not expecting to grow a family. So when we were expecting Kate and Emma, that was a, he was on board for that. But every single time beyond that, I think he felt older was a factor for him too. But also the, the struggle of it and the loss of it, that it was just like, please stop. I care so much about you and I see how much pain you're, you're having. And I think as a woman, you know, until you're ready. So I think for me, getting to that stage where I've, I have such peace now about clearly I was not meant to. And I think, you know, you talk about sort of the therapy and whatever is, I find friends or friends of friends or random comments have been incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. One of which, um, Jeff and I were in Ireland several years back and the pang came back. 
And I was like so disheartened, like what do I do with that? Because I knew that was, we had decided we were sort of done. And so I went to this lady's home and we had a conversation and I just said to her, it was sort of, I was, you know, hungry for it. And she wisely said something that still, that Mm -hmm. sort of softened it for me is what she'd said is, you are so filled with love and you're trying to tamp it down and sort of control that. And you have it so micro-channeled to being a mother. Like you are a mother and you mother so many people in your life, in your family, that, you know, can you be open to the possibility that it, that what you, who you are, doesn't have to be channeled in this singular form. Mm. And oh my gosh, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. yeah. And, and to loosen my grip that she'd said, if you're meant to, it will happen, but, but you're so sort of urgent about it and it's the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. You need to sort of open your hand to it. And I'm not saying don't try and I'm not saying try again, but what she had me do is every time I felt the pain, I was to write down how I was feeling. And what I came to see in my journal notes was that I, it was like I, want, I just had all this love to give and I wanted to channel it. And, or it was, a, it was a loneliness or a longing in me. And, uh, and so I realized that's a me thing. That's definitely not a reason why you would become a parent. And so that was super helpful. And then I came to just not try anymore. And I think came to peace with that. I was going to say there's probably a lot of peace in letting oh. go of that that pain and that pang and that, you know, that pulling of you. Yes. Yeah. Which I never thought possible, truly. I really didn't. And unlike everything else in my life that you sort of, you know, target the goal, it's been the only thing Mm. I've been unable to, quote, achieve. And yet what a a not great way of viewing it. Mm -hmm. It's sort of quite judgmental. And again, like she'd said, Darlene said, it's very singular. And I think that we are a lot of things, particularly as women, you mm-hmm. know, we can wear a lot of hats and be a lot of things. And so now, I mean, whether it be my business, the way I love on my husband, the way I love on our friends and family, like it's who I am. I'm sort of inherently nurturing, caretaking, mothering. And so, yeah, there's a joy in that, that it actually feels broader than mm-hmm. singular now. Well, and I sense that you have, you know, what little time we've known each other and what I see of you on social media, I sense that you really have let go of that because you have this brightness about you, Jen, and and um, I can I can sense that you're very nurturing. So you letting go of that has really probably allowed you to authentically nurture, mm-hmm. you know, the people mm-hmm. in your life because all of that nurturing that would have gone towards a child is yes. going out in the world to your business and to your husband and to your friends. Yes, yes, yeah. which would have felt sort of secondary mm-hmm. that I thought that was the crown, that was the pinnacle. And what I've come to realize is not that's not the case at all. Yeah. And, and I'm honest, people that have kids, well, and I mean, you have stepkids, like sometimes, like you don't have time to nurture anything but them. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so totally. your God gave you the life that you have to go out and nurture the people in your life it's and true. create this business that it, I have a, has senses filled with love and it's affecting people in a positive way. And mm. your life could have been very different, and right? And, exactly. Yeah. Like looking at those roads, it's mm-hmm. it would be an altogether different life. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be living where we're living. I most certainly would not have attempted to open a retail mm-hmm. business at all. Mm-hmm. I would have been engrossed in that. And, and I agree with you. I think I, I'm exactly where I'm meant to be but it is certainly not where I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the funny thing about life, isn't it? <laughs> so can you maybe share um, 
a particular lesson or wisdom that you've learned from your daughters, Catherine and Emma, uh, which has had a profound impact maybe on your philosophy of life? Mm -hmm. I think I've come to learn that pain is inevitable. I really believe that, that you could stick handle it or that sometimes people's pain was their bad choices. Do you know? And again, that judgment, that black and whiteness, uh, that view is so wrong. And so I think now I've come to the realization is it's inevitable and it's what you do with it. Because I think everybody has something. You know, everyone has a moment in their life. It may not have happened, but it certainly will. Where the floor of your life falls out are those foundational things that feel for certain. And, and I hung my hat on those things. Um, not knowing. I mean, the older I get, the more I feel like I don't know anything. But I feel such a sense of trust that I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And that I, you know, I might get bounced around and I might not take the efficient way, but I'll, I'll just keep trying. Mm -hmm. So I think for Jeff and I, we often talked about that, is we never questioned whether we'd be okay. Um, the, the worry we had was that our hearts would close. And so I think particularly in the early stages, it's that still staying vulnerable and still staying open-hearted and not turning bitter on our losses and our pains and that, and then turning our pain into purpose and intention and goodness, you know, while still feeling that pain sometimes. Like it, you know, life is unfair, it mm -hmm. just is. And crappy things happen to really good people. Mm -hmm. It's just a fact of life, but it's what you do with it. I think that counts. Yeah. Well, in honoring the memory of Catherine and Emma, are there any specific rituals or practices that you and Jeff follow and how have these rituals influenced your emotional well-being? Yeah, I think one of the greatest things, particularly the first Mother's Day, I was just, you know, sick. What are we going to do getting through that sort of known horrible milestone? And really good friends of ours had also suffered a very similar loss, lost twins quite early in. And uh, they, they put us on to the sport check, uh, the Mother's Day walk, which is in support of the NICU. Um, near and dear to our hearts. I mean, the nurses and doctors that work there, I cannot imagine doing that job. Um, but yeah, that really helped and that became a family tradition. So my parents, you know, our friends would join us. And so that made Mother's Day certainly tolerable and purposeful and intentional for us. And then we'd always go for brunch. So that's mm -hmm. one of the things for sure. And the girl's birthday, which is of course, like you said, that's how you came to reach out to me is, it's not that I ignore their death day, but I don't give airtime to that. Mm -hmm. it's, it was, it's their birthday. And so each year it's a look back, it's a reflection. Some years are raw and sadder than others. And some years like this year was just like, the, you sort of have that pull out, that perspective. As I just think, wow, we've come a long way. We've done well, you know, and we've turned this horrendous, unimaginable loss into something really, really good. Mm -hmm. And we've touched a lot of people and we've been so touched. I mean, again, the, the quantity of grace that we've been given by friends and family and strangers that have felt our pain or had some connection to this continues to blow my mind. Mm. I would imagine, you know, going through a loss like that, even this many years later, you you probably find joy in really small and simple things. Totally. 
And what comes to mind when I say that? Like, what what is a simple thing that brings you joy? Like, just the daily rituals mm-hmm. of, like, our morning coffee routine. Like, us sitting and, I mean, all this fall, the leaves are changing. It's so beautiful. Like, home for me has always been just a haven. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day when I walk through the doors, I just instantly feel like it's like a hug. My husband is there. It's happy hour. How was your day? <laughs> like, yeah, those rituals of just sitting in the backyard under the mm-hmm. twinkle lights, like, talking about whatever Mm. it is the simple things that are that are everything and that Mm -hmm. are super meaningful yeah and I'm sure going through that loss it's um yeah I'm just picturing you in the morning you and Mm -hmm. Jeff and your coffee routine and the leaves changing color and it is so simple but yet so special it is how has your understanding of the preciousness of life evolved over the years and have there been any specific moments that made you appreciate it more deeply Mm -hmm. i think my dad again that was such a healing i think as a daughter that i mean adored my dad everything i did was to sort of get his you know pat on the back and you know, he didn't give compliments overly freely, but when he did, man, you just hung your hat on Yeah. And he was just such a big um, physical presence, but such a, he was a sure thing in our life. You could set your clock by my dad. And so I think like that, the preciousness of um, dying at 61 is pretty darn young, you know? Very young. And for my mom, my mom was diagnosed with uh, cancer within months of his passing. And I remember feeling like, again, a strange piece of my dad was a simple man that adored my mom, loved his life, that he would have just had more of the same. Like, I think there wasn't this regretful, none of it, like all the family albums, those annoying pictures he took and like, you know, all those little things that we talk about, like my dad was so such a family man Mm -hmm. and so engaged in our life that it was sad that he passed, but I felt this piece of my mom has always been so much more than his wife and our mom and the grandmother that I felt like she was young enough of a widow that there's a whole other chapter that is for her to discover. Mm -hmm. And the quantity of family members that have said to me, oh, your mom is so strong and whatever. She's always been that. Mm -hmm. But because my dad was so physically big and such a big personality, I think, yeah, she played small and she played quiet in behind him. And I sort of felt this piece of he's where he's meant to be he lived a really extraordinary wonderful happy life and my mom has now got this unknown road ahead of her that is hers to discover and watching that over the last 12 years has been amazing and also not without its I mean cancer I was gonna say how is she doing with her cancer she's yeah I mean it's lots yeah she's had uh, multiple cancers sadly she's had breast cancer uh, lymphoma yeah she's just resilient as heck man and zero bitterness just like living can life. do living life and doing things that she never would have thought possible mm. because she was so devoted to my dad and to us and yeah, a lot of her identity came out of um, the role of her connection to someone else. And I think she's discovering she's like pretty amazing in and of herself and that her value is inherent, not in her relationship to a role she plays or a relationship she has. Like she buys one-way tickets places now. Uh, yeah, which my which mom is would so never cool. have done that. Yeah, yeah it's super cool. You yeah. know what, what you said just resonated with me and it, there was a story years ago, I loved Oprah. When she was on oh, TV, every I mean, episode. I went, came to see her when she was in Calgary, and she just profoundly impacted impacted my life. Yes, and she had Lance Armstrong's wife on, and I can't remember if her name was Melissa, but um, 
it, what the story really struck me because it was after she and Lance separated and she said that when I was married to Lance, I lost my identity because my identity became Lance right. and my identity became our children. And I, I stopped doing all of the things that were important to me yes. to take care of Lance and the kids and help Lance succeed. And she said, I realized I lost a, a big piece of myself. And so when Lance and I separated and I got the impression they were good co-parents, but she found herself again. Yes. And she said, I started going to church again and I started playing my sports that I loved and going to yoga and all of these things mm -hmm. that I stopped doing because of who I was married to and because I was this mother role. And I, I think that, that that was always resonated with me that I would never let that happen. Mm -hmm. And I married a man who thankfully is very supportive of Tanya being Tanya. Yeah. He's Tanya's biggest fan. Yes. And so he doesn't ever suppress who Tanya is. And I mean, it's a big joke in our family. <laughs> we'll go out and you everywhere and they'll be like, oh, you're Tanya's husband. And, you know, and so he's actually, had to, yeah, it's been a role yeah. reverse. And yeah. he's like, oh, well, my name's Chad and I'm, I'm a big deal too. <laughs> <laughs> but of course you are. Yeah, the smart man, yeah, Mary That's Tanya. right, but it's this big joke, you know. But I, I, I'm grateful for you bringing that up because I think many women lose a sense of who they are in their marriage. Absolutely. And so your mom, you know, it sounds like your dad had 61 amazing years, mm -hmm. but now your mom got to go out and experience herself again. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think that upbringing, I mean, that's how they were raised. Yes. Where both my parents championed and, you know, you're much younger than me, but I think we're, where we were taught to think for ourselves and be independent and mm -hmm. go out and get there. But that was said, not behaved. Yes. That my mom is one of the most ambitious people for other people. And I now see her fight for herself and her health for the things she wants, for the things she enjoys doing, which I don't think that that, you know, it, that was always laying dormant. I don't mm -hmm. think that's new, but it definitely was not called to the surface in her previous married life. Mm -hmm. Well, what's your mom's first name? Lucy. Oh, great yes. name Isn't too. Yeah. Well, hello she, to Lucy. Her. I'm sure I would. would she sounds her. like a go-getter. pretty great. Like a, a little ball of fire. What advice would you give to someone who is struggling to find joy and meaning in life after profound loss? And how can they begin to soak in the preciousness of life? Mm -hmm. I think um, that it won't be as difficult. Uh, you know, right now, if you're in the throes of it and you're just breathing and you're just showering and you're just getting through the day, that's okay. Mm -hmm. just, just keep going. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other and it will get easier. And then also um, to just let those waves, I think that's why grief is so hard, is if we break our arm 100 days later, it sort of gets easier. And you know, you can have those obvious like Mother's Day moments or the girl's birthday that you know might be hard and sometimes they're not. But a can of Campbell's soup or a package of Pampers on a random Wednesday will we'll be the thing that send you into you. 100%. Oh and to just like let that yeah. um, wash over you because there's no fast track way. There's no one way to just go easy on yourself and to just cry when the tears come mm -hmm. and come undone. And like, as I say, sit in the shit. We're meant to sometimes be leveled because I think it gets us out of our head and it just allows us to like feel those things. And that is the gift in it is those, these connection points that we have that everyone can come from different families and different circumstances, but the shared humanity that we have mm -hmm. is like there forever. And it's it, like, I think when you're in the throes of grief, 
the main gift is that you don't even have capacity to like soldier and da da da. It's just, but there's a gift in that because you'll just be with it. You'll just feel it all, let it wash on over you, and then just keep swimming. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't know if you're going up or down or, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And just to like allow that, particularly as women. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it you just it was when you said the Pampers and the Campbell soup, I'm thinking, yeah, like there must have been just so many different triggers in your life throughout the last 18 years that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have ever imagined mm-hmm. like years later that something would have just kind Never. of gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's it's really grieving the loss not only of the people, but I think it's grieving the loss of the dream, the life that you yes. thought you would have. Yeah. And I think to reinvent yourself similar to what my mom has done. I think the quantity of times that we've had to reinvent ourselves when the door shuts on us or we're told no on something, what are you going to do with that? Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be bummed about it or feel devastated by it, but don't reside there. Mm -hmm. Like I definitely have had pity party days or, you know, but that's not the place that I'm setting up camp. Yes. But I think to, you know, to acknowledge that it is excruciating and Mm -hmm. that it is unfair, that it is really tragic and sad and then to move on from that Mm -hmm. space. I think that's the key. And when you're in the early throes of it, I mean, I could tell you countless examples of like being in the grocery store and being like, how are people shopping? Like, how is the world going on? And it feels very fast and you're not ready. Like all you want is quiet and still because you are like, you have no skin. You're just one big raw nerve of sorrow. And just get into the shower, like many a day, which I had never experienced until then, is an accomplishment. And to just let that be. Mm -hmm. How many times I got dinner and said to Jeff, it's in the fridge. That's all I got today. Mm -hmm. And for him to say, I got the rest, you know, and you just allow that whatever you have, wherever you are, it's that's exactly okay. Mm -hmm. And to just be with that and not judge, not say, gosh, I should be. You know, I had that many a time where I thought, it's been a year later, I should be feeling, or why is this so, like, stop that, it's so unhelpful, and stop measuring it, like, it's just grief is, it's not linear, it, um, it's a tricky road that's really, really hard, and the only way through it is to just be with it, mm-hmm. and let it wash all over you, and just like the good days don't last forever, when you're in the ditch and it's really awful, that, that too will pass mm-hmm. and you'll be okay in like a cup of coffee or a delicious glass of wine mm-hmm. or, you know, good times are around the corner if you let them come into your world. Do you remember, Jen, the first time after the loss of Kate and Emma that you were able to find joy? Because, you know, listening to your story and again, being a mom and the, the thought of losing a child at any age is just so devastating to me. I, like, do you remember the place where you could actually feel joy again? I see, I would say, like, when you asked that question, I thought of Jeff, and I know for him that uh. he felt the guilt of, like, gosh, I laughed, or this or that. And he'd lost a mother and a brother before, so it was not his first foray into loss. I mean, he's, he's had an enormous amount of loss. So for him, that was true. I was, I never felt that way. Like we, we have twin nieces that are a year older than our girls would have been. And I just, for him, that was very difficult in those early triggering. months, very triggering. 
for me, it, I felt this undertaking of like a sense of a responsibility. And I feel like, like your kids and the neighbor's kids and like they're everywhere. Like I feel as though it's, um, you're a mother to everyone. I, or the what if, like <laughs> yeah. you sort of turn that where I think, oh, that curly little haired girl, like, oh, Emma would have looked like that. Or you see, yeah. So for me, I think the joy was sort of all around. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it was the, um, uh, not being devastated again. I think I really armored up in that sense of like, I'm, my head's on a swivel. I'm not going to be devastated like that again. For me, I can handle anything. I think for me, the biggest trigger is the blind side. Is if, you know, when my dad was diagnosed, when my brother and mom were diagnosed, I can handle any of it. Just tell me what it is and then I can gear That's up. That's me. That is you. I just had this aha moment that that is me. I am not good with being blindsided. Yeah. I am good. If you just tell me this is the issue, yeah. this is how long we have, this is what it's going to be like or what you can expect, then I can mentally prepare for that. 100%. But it's being, it's that blindsided that yes. is just, it puts me into this tailspin. 100%. And I have a hard time getting out of that. Because I think what we do is we what if scenario a yes. thousand things, none of which come true. Yes. And what a waste of energy. Yeah. It takes you out for sure. But no, that for me is the ongoing work. It's less about allowing joy in. Because I think, you know, seeing people love on their kids is like, you're doing it for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I think everyone that's given the gifts they're given in life, the greatest way you can honor those that didn't get those gifts or that had those gifts and lost them is to honor what you're given, all those Mm -hmm. privileges. So I never, my sister-in-law was pregnant at the exact same time as my, as we were. And I didn't go to her wedding, baby shower rather, not wedding shower, not because it was like hard for me, but it felt like she, this is her moment and her day and all her guests feeling sorry for me or saying the I'm sorry's. I said to her, I, if you want me to be there, I will come. But I think I, this is your moment. And so I won't attend. Mm. I would say 99% of people presupposed I didn't attend because it was too hard. I thank God. And it's through no you know, effort on my part. I just am really blessed in that way that it was seeing kids, seeing babies was never hard. Being around people with families. I was more triggered if they didn't see the gift they were given Mm -hmm. or if they were like, oh, this is such a burden where I'm like, do you realize how fortunate you are? Which is not to say that I'm well acquainted that motherhood is the hardest job when done well. So joy was not hard, but for me, keeping my heart open, like the tendency to want to like close or... I'm not great with vulnerability, you know, only in my 40s have I I was going to say, are you sure? Because like, <laughs> I don't feel that's the case today. Well, I, I thank God for Brene Brown. Another oh, one of my superheroes <laughs> is, uh, yeah, is that was a mind blow for me is that that's a strength, not a weakness. Mm. And I definitely was not raised in that, uh, you know, vein. But I have come to see that, that, and I think when we show ourselves People will connect to us mm-hmm. or they'll say, oh, I had a, or it was my uncle or my brother or whatever. Mm-hmm. Our, we're all the same. Yeah, we're all connected in some way. Sometimes it's through grief and loss and sometimes it's through triumph and joy. And, totally. Yeah. Or wine and yeah. alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Jen, what, what have you vowed to yourself in life? What have I vowed? Um, I think to enjoy the ride. I mean, I think my dad used to always say, life is good, you know, or we'd be out skiing or whatever, is I think, yeah, I vowed that to turn pain into purpose. 
um, and to share, like I think all of us sharing of ourselves, like, you know, your kind invitation to me to say, I was moved by this. And for me, even if I, if I still struggle to receive that, I'm much more comfortable in the giving than the receiving role to allow that. So I think, you know, on a moving forward, like always staying open hearted and enjoying the ride of life, like good, bad and ugly, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's a pretty precious life that we're given and it's super fragile but it's loaded with like awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got so much out of talking to you this morning, Jen, and thank you so much for being here and being vulnerable. I'd say you're a pro <laughs> at it in your 40s, so thank you. And we always like to spotlight a charity of choice, and I have a feeling I know which one it is, but <laughs> shocker, what, shocker, yeah, but yes. what, what charity would yeah. you like to spotlight? No, we do, yeah, we donate to the NICU. Yes, yes. yes. I just, those, uh, those nurses and doctors, I tell you, they make you yeah. feel like you're the only, your life and your babies are the only ones there and they just know when to shut the curtain and hand you a box of tissue and when to tell you the straight up this you need to make a decision Mm -hmm. here or this is what's happening and whatever yeah so we donate to them christmas and the girl's birthday every year yeah they sound like little angels on earth it sure feels like yeah Yeah. (laughs) well jen thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story i um i am moved i'm emotional listening to it and um it definitely got to me and uh, my heart because I'm a mother and what that must have been like. But thank you for sharing in your vulnerability and turning your pain into purpose. And I know that your story will touch many. And um, for our listeners, if you want to go into Jen's little piece of heaven in Inglewood, it's called The Curated Home. You might see me there in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> We'll lay and, some hugs on you. <laughs> yeah, that's we'll load you up with some tea. Oh, coffee, wonderful. <laughs> and all accessory shop. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It helps us spread the stories.